Yeah, thanks, Lawrence, for that reading. Um, yeah, I'm excited to work through this passage tonight with all of you. I'm excited to be here um, working through this passage together. It's an, it's an interesting one. I think we're just going to jump right into it. So um, Tim Keller makes a great point that when you look at this text, there's really four parts to it, right? There's um, John. This is John the Baptist. There's John's condition. There's John's question, and then there's Jesus's response, and then there's Jesus's challenge in verse 6. So if we just kind of break um, those different things down, so we, if we start with John's condition, what do we know about John from this passage? Well, we know he's in prison, right? We know that he's in prison, and it's interesting that Matthew says that um, he's heard about the deeds of the Christ, Right, John the Baptist later will ask, are you the one? But here Matthew is recording that Jesus is the Christ. He's recording for the reader that he is the one. So John's sitting in prison. He's heard about what Jesus is doing. So we know he's suffering. We also know from the passage that he's doubting. Right? We know this from his question. He's like, are you the one? <laughs> are you the one or should I keep looking? So he's suffering and he's doubting. And then the last thing that we know from this passage is he's also offended, right? Because of that challenge in verse 6 from Jesus, when Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Like, that doesn't make any sense that Jesus would say that unless John is offended. So John is suffering, he's doubting, and he's offended. And we're going to really unpack that offended part more. And so then that leads us to the next part of the text. We have John's question. He doesn't say, are you the Messiah? He doesn't say, are you the Christ? He says, are you the one? But we understand he's meaning Messiah. So Messiah is the Hebrew word for the Greek word Christ. They're the same word, just in different languages. They both can be translated as anointed king. So John's asking, you know, are you the anointed king? Um, most Jews, whether they were devout or political, most Jews of Jesus's and John the Baptist's day really had this belief that the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, this promise anointed king would be a political king, not a spiritual king like we learn later on through the New Testament that Jesus is, right? They, they had this expectation that this promised one was going to come and overthrow the Roman oppression that they were living under in their land and free them from political oppression. But I think maybe the bigger thing to see by John's question, are you the one, is we see it's okay to doubt, right? Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He's not like, you know, get behind me, Satan, like he says to Peter in other places. He doesn't rebuke them for doubting. And really in that, the fact that Matthew records that is that's a message to us as readers, to us even as modern-day readers, that it's okay to doubt. And again, it makes sense when we're suffering that we're going to doubt. Um, and maybe also with John's question, right, like he's not, he's not being scornful to Jesus, like the Pharisees were, or that criminal on the cross was, right? Like sometimes the Pharisees would say, um, you know, if you're really the Christ, 
then do this for me. It wasn't really a sincere doubt. It was more like a, a threat. <laughs> but John is sincere. Um, he's sincere in his doubting, and he just needs to know, is Jesus the one who's going to save him? Are you the one that's really going to help me? Or do I need to look for something else? Like John knows if Jesus isn't the one, he's going to keep looking for something, some sort of hope, some sort of life. Jesus, are you the one? Or do I need to keep looking for that help elsewhere? And then we have Jesus' response, the third part. Jesus says, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus' response is really evidence of his authority, right? He's giving the evidence to support the claim that he is the Christ. He's giving evidence to support I am the one who has true authority. He's not just telling them. He's putting it out there as the evidence, right? He's quoting the Old Testament, especially the prophet Isaiah, right, that would prophesy that the promised one, this anointed one who's going to come is going to heal. He's going to heal all our brokenness. Um, And so Jesus' response is just the evidence to support his claim to authority, It's just the evidence to support his claim as the promised Messiah. It's the evidence to support that he is indeed God. And that's a big deal. (laughs) Um, And that last part where he says, and the poor have good news preached to them. Right, the poor, the poor in spirit, those who are empty, those who have nothing. And then the last part... The fourth part is Jesus' challenge. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Um, Some scholars translate it as, blessed is the one who's not tripped up on account of me. Or blessed is the one who is able to overcome my offensiveness. And notice like what Jesus isn't saying. He isn't saying, whoa, wait, I'm not offensive. (laughs) He knows he's offensive. He's not saying he's not offensive. Like, that's just, yeah, I'm, I'm offensive. But blessed is the one who overcomes my offensiveness. Blessed is the one who's not tripped up over my offensiveness. You know, and if Jesus, this is just kind of a side note, if, um, if Jesus knows he's offensive and he doesn't deny it, If you consider yourself a Christian, there's going to be offensiveness in that. It just, Jesus doesn't deny it, it just is. Blessed is the one who can overcome that offensiveness, but the offensiveness is. Like, it just is. We as Christians shouldn't be offended. We should be the least offended people. But just to be present and realistic and look it full in the eyes, like, Jesus is saying, my teachings will be offensive. And again, we're going to look at that a little bit more here. So why why is John offended? I mean, this is John the Baptist, right? The guy who heralded Jesus' public ministry. What does John have to be offended about? 
Well, that first part, <laughs> he's offended because he's suffering, right? When we're suffering, it's easy to be offended. It's easy to think, really, God? Is this really what you're doing with my life? Like, are you serious? And then on top of that, like John the Baptist is doing everything right. Later on in Matthew, Jesus says, like just a couple verses later, he says of those born of woman, nobody's better than John the Baptist. Like John doesn't just think he's doing everything right. He is doing everything right, right? He's been out in the desert denying worldly pleasures, eating locusts, dressing in camel hair. He's fasting. Matthew 9, John's disciples come up to Jesus and they're like, how come our disciples, we fast and your disciples don't? John's been doing everything right and he's still suffering. And if we're honest, that's offensive. <laughs> that offends us. What are you doing with my life, God? And the other thing I think, too, that we can see in the text of why John is offended is because he had expectations. Again, like commonly across the spectrum, Jews of Jesus' day had an expectation that the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, was going to free them of political oppression. Matthew 3, when John is heralding the public ministry of Jesus, he says, one's coming who's mightier than me and yet John's sitting here in prison. Like, I'm pretty sure John didn't think when he said, Jesus is mightier than me, and he's calling the religious hypocrites to repent, and that fire and brimstone is coming, I'm pretty sure John didn't think he would wind up in prison with a death sentence. Pretty sure he had some different expectations on this way was going to work out in his life. But what's happened is, he's suffering, he did nothing wrong, and this Messiah, this Christ, is not meeting his expectations. And I think John's reactions and offenses are pretty similar to ours, right? Like, when we're suffering, it's hard to understand what God is doing. It's easy to be offended. We're offended by it. Again, we ask things like, God, is this really what you have planned for me? Is this really the marriage you have for me? Is this really the single life that you have for me? Is this really the body and the health or the job that you have for me? And especially we find it offensive when we feel like we've been doing everything right, whether that's real <laughs> or just perceived, it's offensive. And I think like John, we also get offended when we have expectations on Jesus. Um, Mike Wilkerson, in his book, Redemption, that we do classes through, the, there's a men's group going on right now. Mike Wilkerson says, it's a lot easier to say, Jesus, save me like this. Here's, here's my plan. Here's my script. This is how I'm directing you to save me. It's a lot easier to say, save me like this, than to say, you're the Messiah, you have the credentials for authority, save me any way you want to. It takes a lot more faith and trust to say, you're God, save me any way you want. We have expectations. And it's okay that we're offended when we're suffering. It's okay 
that we're doubting when we're suffering. But blessed is the one who can overcome the offensiveness. Blessed is the one who doesn't get tripped up by the suffering, by the doubting. And it, it wasn't just John, right, <laughs> who was offended by John the Baptist. If you, it wasn't just John who was offended by Jesus. If you read through the, the rest of the New Testament, rest of Matthew, like there's plenty of other teachings that are offensive about Jesus, right? Jesus offended the rich when he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. Jesus offended family, like those who put most of their hope and value in family. He offended his own family when he wouldn't go outside to his mother and his brothers and said, no, those students, these disciples of mine who are learning from me, they're just as important as you. He offended the, the religious powerful, the hypocrites, when he wouldn't observe the Sabbath the way they wanted to, when he wouldn't wash his hands, when he healed, heaven forbid, on the Sabbath. He offended socialites and the well-to-do when he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. He offended all men of his generation, even his own disciples, when he told them, you can't divorce a woman for just any reason you want. And his disciples were like, what? Who would ever get married then? He offended, um, he offended those who want to get even with those who have wronged them by saying, no, love your enemies and forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven, right? Jesus knows he's offensive. He doesn't deny or try to skirt the issue. His teachings are offensive. And it's okay to be honest when we're offended by his teaching, right? Jesus tells us it's okay to doubt, but again, blessed is the one who can overcome that. And I think maybe the last reason that's worth chewing on or thinking about of why we're offended by Jesus is also Jesus doesn't save us and just say, oh, just stay any way you want. Jesus saves us and he says, I love you too much to leave you how you are. I love you too much to leave you on to your own demise. Like, I love you, and I want you to be who you were fully created to be. Um, it reminds me of, um, if you've ever watched Jane Austen's, well, if you've ever read the book by Jane Austen, I don't know your opinions of Jane Austen. I never really wanted to read Jane Austen because I'm like, oh, that just makes women think their only thing is marriage. But then the more I read it or watch the movies, I'm like, oh, there are some redeemable characters in there. But anyway, Jane Austen's book, Emma, if you've ever read the book or watched the movie, there's this character, Emma, and um, she has a lot of natural qualities, um, but she's a little bit sophomoric and um, kind of thinks that she can direct everybody's life, but she's so, like, naturally agreeable and kind that most people, like her father, just sort of dote on her and let her be as she is. And in doing so, she does really cause some serious harm and pain to others. But there's one character, Mr. Knightley, who's a neighbor, who, like, if you've read the book, it's really in there, and then in the, book, in the movie some too. But Mr. Knightley sees Emma, and he loves her too much 
to just let her stay that way, to just dote on her and just let her stay that way. And he's always challenging her to be better, to cut off some of that simple, naive silliness, youthful silliness, to really mature and be a more beautiful person that she can be. And then in the movie, there's a scene where like Emma, just at a jest and to be a socialite, really puts down this, um, this kind of simpleton of a single woman and just crushes her and embarrasses her in front of you know, just their social circle. And Mr. Knightley loves her too much to just placate her and let her be. And he's, you know, he rebukes her and he's just like, oh, Emma, how could you do that? Like, you're better than that. You could be better than that, right? And that's really what God is doing with us as he takes us through different things. But so often when we're going through the change, like it hurts, it hurts like exercise, it hurts like diet, but God loves us too much to just leave us there. He can see us like Mr. Knightley saw Emma. He could see better. He could see how we could be more beautiful, how we could cut off the anger or the foolishness, and we can put on the kindness and the love. But too often it's easy (laughs) to be offended when we find ourselves in those situations. And I think as we're, if we're honest, and as we face our offensiveness, the times we're offended, by Jesus and his teaching. I think it, we do well to ask the same question John asked, because that makes all the difference. Jesus, are you the one? Jesus, are you the one, or should I look for something else for my source of hope, for my source of life? Jesus, are you the one? If Jesus is the one, if he really is God, if he really has all authority, then that makes the difference. If he really has all authority, then I don't. Then my plans, my expectations are not the control. And if he's really the one, really God, really has all authority, then I do well to humble myself and quit living with this expectation like people ought to be revolving around me, right? Because a lot of times we're offended that so-and-so did this to me or so-and-so didn't do that to me, and what we're really saying is they didn't revolve around me. But if I'm not the one, and Jesus is, people shouldn't revolve around me because I'm not God. I'm an important person. I'm an important person in this story of God's redemption, but I'm not God. And I do well to surrender to him, to revolve around him, if he is the one. And so really the question too, kind of along with that, is if Jesus is the one, if he's the one who saves, if he's the Messiah, okay, how does Jesus save? And again, if we go back to looking at the text, right, we see If Jesus is healing the broken, the desperate, the needy, that's who he's spending time with. He's not spending time with the full. He's not spending time with the political in power. He's spending time with the blind and the deaf and the lame and the lepers. 
But the New Testament also goes on to show he's not just spending time with them. He's, he's healing them. But he's also not just healing them. Right? When we read at the end of the Gospels about the events that lead up to the crucifixion, Jesus becomes blind, right? People are spitting in his face and saying to him, prophesize who slapped you. He becomes lame walking up to the cross where he can't even carry it. He becomes dead to, to bear our brokenness. He becomes dead to become our depravity, our disease, our illnesses, our sin, And as he becomes that and then conquers it through his resurrection, he overcomes all of our brokenness. And then now through faith and trust in his death, in him becoming our depravity, in him becoming our sin, in him becoming our illness, in him becoming our poorness, then we get to take on his identity his resurrection, his victory through faith. He takes on our identity and then conquers it so that by faith we can likewise have that victory. We likewise can overcome. The gospel, Christ's gospel, this gospel of how he saves, this gospel of how he teaches, right, it's not for the full. It's not for those who think they're in control and have, that, have it all figured out. It's for the poor, the empty, those who know their desperate need. And there's a part of that that's offensive too. Because there's a part of us that doesn't want to have to need help. Right? Like, it's embarrassing. It feels shameful to know our weaknesses, right? When you think about that time that you did something that you know was wrong, that you know you should have done better, right? It hurts. It hurts psychologically. And it's offensive to admit, I can't figure it out on myself. I can't do this on my own. But that's the core message of Jesus's gospel. You can't, but Christ can, because he is the one. Right? Um, Jesus says earlier in the famous Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the empty. Why are the poor in spirit blessed? Because they know they can't do it. They know their desperate need, right? If you've been in that spot, And it's a continual thing, too, to press in. Like, when we know, I I can't. I never could. I'm never going to. That's when you're in the position to receive Jesus' blessedness. That's when you're in the position to overcome the offensiveness of his teaching. That's when you're in the position to say, you know what, this facade that I've got all my stuff together is not true. But that's when we're in the spot to be blessed, to receive him, and to take on his victory, and to depend on him. Blessed is the one who overcomes the offensiveness as we humble ourselves, as we surrender whatever whatever we're looking to that isn't really the one. As we surrender that, 
humble ourselves and take on from Jesus his life, his source of hope, we navigate overcoming the offensiveness. So I wanted to um, end our time, our teaching time, with really a challenge and a prayer. So my challenge is just for some time tonight, before you actually fall asleep, maybe on your drive home, maybe when you're driving or laying in bed, um, talk to God, right? Praying is just talking to God. Talk to God and ask him to give you the blessedness that comes with overcoming offensiveness, overcoming, coming to grips with Jesus' offensiveness. And if you've never decided if Jesus is the one, take some time to reflect and decide that. And if you think he is the one, I would encourage you to, again, just talk to God. Praying is just talking to God. Talk to God. Tell him, I do believe, Jesus, you are the one. Trust him. Receive. Ask him to just continue to help you to receive his blessedness and to guide you in faith. So that's my challenge. (laughs) And let me just close our time. I'll just kind of talk to God, say a short prayer along with that, along with those ideas. So Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for this passage that helps us, even as modern people, thousands of years after Jesus walked on the earth, to think about the offensiveness of what it means to not be able to save ourselves. And I pray that you would show each of us the blessedness of humility and trust in you in each of the different details of each of our lives. And we pray these things through the one, Jesus Christ. Amen.